You're listening to The Mix Podcast, where we explore user behavior, emerging technologies, and how to design better digital experiences. have um, an individual that's seated positioned relatively statically relative to the product that surrounds them we have um, a lot of money density of feature within the vehicle around them uh, we have electricity we have all sorts of facets of technology to support things you've got in a way a perfect incubationary space to deliver powerful ux experience that i think um, many designers that are dealing with for example a phone would would crave for hello i'm mark pavlowski founder of mix That was Sam Livingston, director of car design research. I think that's about as fully formed a summary I've heard of why the opportunity to design for vehicles is such a captivating thought for people who work in this area. There's something a bit magnetic about the presence of a vehicle, something which kind of elevates the process of designing it as a product, which pushes designers to to make it feel special. And of course, these lines are converging. One way or another, we've spent a fair amount of time exploring the world of automotive over the 15 years or so of of MECs, from car designers who've come and talked at the MECs conferences to bits of consulting work. But recently, I think there's been a real uptick in the rate at which people involved in the MECs community, who might previously have been entirely focused on stuff around personal digital devices of one kind or another, have been starting to get involved with transport and cars and mobility as a service and that whole area. So it seemed like a pretty good time to sit down for a chat with Sam Livingston, who runs Car Design Research. Now, Sam has seen the automotive world from quite a few different perspectives. As a design strategist working in-house for a car manufacturer, as the editor of a magazine focused on car design, as a teacher on intelligent mobility at the Royal College of Art, and of course as the founder of this consultancy, Car Design Research. There's a a client list which reads a little bit like a who's who of automotive, and and we do talk about a few of them, Volvo and Toyota. But one of the things which has always struck about Sam's work over this that I've known him is the degree to which it's founded in this rigorous curiosity about human behavior before it's then matched with a deep, deep knowledge of car design itself. Now, given the disruption which is looming in automotive and really around this whole question of how we get to where we want to be, both virtually and physically, that focus on behavior-led design seems like a pretty interesting foundation to help companies meet the next set of challenges around how the experience of mobility, whatever you want to call it, is transformed by digital. So I hope you enjoy the conversation, this deep dive into a pretty fascinating world of car design, and I'll be back at the end. Here we go. I've always wondered about, despite having now known you for a while, is whether or not it was the love of cars that came first or the love of being in the design world in some way. I suppose, if I'm honest, it's got to be the love of cars. Um, there's something, you know, I can recall even from a very young age being engaged with cars. There is something very visceral about a car, the, the, the sort of animated scale of the things. Um, so even as a young child, I'm, I'm, I remember quite distinctly being drawn to them as, as things. Um, and then later, as I became older, but still as a child, the facet of design became something of particular interest to me, both, I suppose, in terms of how something looks good, looks cool, looks nice, has an aesthetic, is beautiful and so forth. You can be wowed by that, but also by the, the cleverness of it, the logicalness of it, the, the the facilitation that it might provide, if you like, more on the functional side. But I guess as well as being wowed or seduced by the positive quality that design has and, and delivers to people, to me, the frustration of ugliness, the frustration of something which doesn't do the job properly, that was something I always have felt to be quite keenly aware of. And I think that's one of my core motivators is, is, is born from a, a lack of satisfaction at seeing so many things that surround us as being unnecessarily not as good as they could be, missing opportunity. So yeah, car came first, then design, and the two things married to the point where, yeah, car design is quite a central element as to who I am and what I do. So without wanting to date you too much, can you remember the age at which you first started becoming aware of the design of cars and, and what what would have been 
the car of desire at that time? Yeah, I mean, literally from the smallest, earliest memories um, of being a child, of playing with a toy car and being aware of cars on the street. And, and the strength, um, if you think in the most bold terms as to what element of design can impact upon you, it's to do with the scale of something and perhaps its movement in the instance of a car, but also its color um, and the bright orange cars that I think the learner drivers had in the area that I lived in as a child. I remember that chiming with me when I was uh, definitely much less than five. So from before the age of five, I know that I've definitely been quite engaged with cars as a thing and to some degree of the aesthetic of them and then the, the physicality of them, be they a, a sports car or a brightly colored car or particularly shiny looking voluptuous rounded car and so forth. So the, the headline elements of, of design of a car have been with me, I think, for from a very, very young age as, as a child. Um, and I guess they've just evolved as, I, as I've been engaged and interested in them and, and, and grown up as, uh, as a child through my childhood. My awareness as to what comprises and is a seductive design, what elements of a car make it an interesting and engaging thing in its design have progressed as well, I suppose, in parallel. That's interesting that it was the, the colour of it rather than necessarily the shape. Because I'm guessing if they were cars for learner drivers, we're probably not talking about anything particularly racy or luxurious. It was just the, the, the brightness and the, the attractiveness of the aesthetic. I, sp- I suppose so. I mean, this is from a very, very young age. I'm, I'm sort of definitely before five, certainly even maybe three or four. And I think for a very young child, actually, colour is a very important part of the world that surrounds you. Um, I mean, I speak really not from my awareness of myself in that respect, but from my awareness and work that I've done with very young children, how they engage with uh, visual elements around them and how colour is such a priority for them. And I map that back and realise that, yeah, you know what, the vehicles that interested me when I was very small were pretty strong, bright colours. Um, and yeah, they weren't exotic machinery, Marek. It was sort of small, you know, normal little cars of the time. That's an, an interesting notion actually in relation to how people then later form their attitudes around a car specifically versus other products it's not something really which had occurred to me but i guess a car is one of those things that you are prevented by regulation by law from having access and ownership of until a particular age and therefore perhaps there's a bit more significance to those early experiences that people have with them and that period where you're sort of seeing them as something which is, I guess, slightly forbidden or at least inaccessible to you as a child, and yet clearly something which is very important in the lives of the people that do have access to them and, and do yeah, use ex- them. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting bent that you're taking on that, I suppose, because I guess what we're talking about is the way that actually as a topic or a subject or an entity, um, it's unusual for something to be engaged with or interested, for, for people to be interested in something which they essentially don't have access to. We're, we're looking at an adult product. Um, which is often of great interest to those that can't access this as, as children. But it's a it's a moderate tourism, isn't it? I mean, cars are, are, are broadly recognised to be um, interesting things to many kids, predominantly boys, it seems. And yeah, I think, you know, they make a noise. They're very animated. Um, it's got to be the nearest thing to a mechanical animal, really, in the great scheme of things. So I think there's a sort of almost an anthropomorphic quality where we're programmed to find some level of engagement with these things, or at least have a predisposition to do so. And I think that's what warms children to them as as things as entities um they're so they're so multifaceted it's this large moving thing which is capable of making noises and zooming around and 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 potentially of course having an interior as well which you can engage with and facilitate stuff um so even if you're not driving it i think there's an awful lot of ways in which you connect and relate to to the car as as a thing and as a designed artifact have you had any experience of projects where the manufacturers are looking at the the attitudes of children in relation to cars, even though they're not obviously the the primary user, they are in some way using the vehicle or or subject to uh, experiencing the design of that vehicle. How how does one balance that when you're you're looking at um, the overall design of a model? I think that the consideration that most car companies have for children is relatively small. Uh, their, Their relationship with making decisions about which vehicle to be chosen compared to that of the parent or the adult in question is is obviously quite marginal and the consideration as to what is good for a child is actually broadly perceptual one of the adult that, that impacts on the choice so car brands don't invest much energy and time i think into uh, trying to get into the minds of, of a child as a customer or, or a customer by proxy but i do and we have engaged in um, work with very young 
people and with children, and mostly uh, to understand how they might differ to children of previous generations and to some degree to extrapolate from that how they may differ as adults. And uh, We've certainly done work which sits around how the younger users of the future, who clearly today are uh, children, if they are indeed even born, um, might differ. And surely you can't just extrapolate from today's five-year-old to uh, tomorrow's 25-year-old. But looking at and exploring how there are some distinctions in their uh, lives today um, and to some degree how they are distinct in their behavior uh, today to those young children of uh, the past has value. And I think that there are elements that can be drawn from that which have bearing and could or should have bearing on the design of cars in the future um, and indeed in terms of how they behave and what they're expecting and might wish to do inside a vehicle uh, concerning the digital experience. Well, I mean, this is one of the things which I think always fascinates both, both me and I think many of the other people that I've spoken to who broadly work in this area of digital experience design when they come to think about the automotive industry and cars is just how long uh, the sort of product development times are compared to, say, developing an app or developing you know, a phone or some sort of digital consumer device, uh, and how that then relates back to things like studying attitudes of very young children, because at some point, you know, the product development cycle is going to have to start, which then means creating the vehicles that might become their first cars. And that's something which I guess you're probably better positioned than most to provide some insight into as to just you know how long those cycles are. I mean, you were talking there about the idea of looking at, say, the behaviours and attitudes of a five-year-old with a view to then what they might buy when they're 25. Um, is that common that there's there's that sort of you know, length of lead time or, or duration between the research being done and the product um, arriving or, or the other cycles typically a bit shorter than that? So yeah it's relatively rare for a brand to be much engaged and, and interested in trying to postulate what something might be 20 years ahead to the future. I think the program that I'm alluding to was one that was specifically looking at informing a concept car which itself is part of an advanced planning activity by the, the client that we were working with. So sitting way beyond if you like the next generation or uh, next generation product development programs which which are live today and, and, and would have been and will be live in the immediate future. There's as well as the long development times that you're referring to, often brands quote as being 18 months, but that's never wholly uh, the singular case, and um, which I'll come back to in a moment. But as well as that, you've obviously got product life cycles, which tend to be far longer than that of most other product sectors, I think. Um, so, you know, vehicles typically are on the on the market for five, six, seven years, sometimes longer and occasionally a little shorter. Um, and whilst there might be scope to have updates throughout that lifetime, it's relatively slight. And if you then stick on an 18-month development time, which I think is still pretty lean, actually, I think many brands are, are more like sort of 24, even 36 months, you've potentially got products which are being sold, which may have been designed. Uh, even 10 years ago, certainly more than six or seven years ago in many instances. So you have, as you mentioned, got quite a different context there when you're trying to understand how the future might be and also when you're trying to embrace uh, new solutions, particularly within the digital realm that sit inside the vehicle. Inherently, cars are going to be old school and out of date. And this, of course, is central to why speak with and understand consumers' relationships with cars. They're broadly satisfied with all aspects of the design of the car, with the exception being the UX and how the digital elements within and indeed that connect from outside to within the car are not at the races compared to something they might have in their pocket. And it's a challenge which is born not just of the product development period being typically, as I said, sort of, you know, 18, 24 months and the long life cycles. You've also got legacy decisions within brands uh, where they're committing to purchasing all sorts of systems from suppliers, which means that those in turn might have hangovers which impact on future decisions so that, you know, you're not starting with a clean sheet of paper every time you develop a new car. So actually all of those sort of challenges sit within most of the automotive brands, certainly the incumbent brands. Um, and actually a lot of them sit within the a lot of them, if you like, a why it is that many of us can get in a car and just be frustrated that we're dealing with something that's so clunky in its in its user experience. So let's go back a little bit. Um, so I'd like to understand, you know, what your sort of first experience was in the automotive industry as a, a professional and, and the moment, I guess, when you considered yourself to be a designer working within the car world. What was that first role for you? As we've touched on before, I had a keen interest in cars from a young age and then in car design and then progressed through academic study in product design, which in a way is a sort of broader, more macro understanding of what car design is because car design, a car is just a product of a particular type. And then actually studied design strategy and innovation which is a sort of design management uh, program at um, 
um, master's level and from there stepped straight fortuitously stepped straight into a position working with Deyu Motor Company um, a brand which has disappeared but which British uh, people may f- be familiar with that'll be the day it was a strap line that famously brought that brand to life in the UK I, where I was, was about to cite dominant. that very thing I mean it's one of the yes. most memorable advertising campaigns a, a car company did I think yeah so a rather unusual Korean car company um, and it was certainly a great place to cut your teeth. But I was there within the design group. And, and you mentioned how where I was as a car designer. And whilst I have worked in car design um, all my professional life, I, I only describe myself as a car designer in the most simple terms. Broadly, I'm not I'm not somebody that draws a car. I don't design a car. I'm an automotive design strategist. I work with designers to help them uh, design the best thing, the most profitable thing, the best thing for the customer and the best thing for the brand, and essentially help them knit together what it is they should be trying to realize in its function and its semantic relative to the brand, the future market, uh, the customers and so forth. And the work that I do tends to add most value at the early stage of design programs to help establish what the challenges specifically are, what information can inform things, uh, what the strategic intent is. And I was very lucky to have that pretty much at the get-go um, in a position at Dayu Motor Company where I was their single design strategist uh, working on, I think, over 30 vehicle programs at the time. Sorry, over the first two or three years. And then subsequent to that, went into consulting, uh, worked in Germany for a short while, and then back in the UK, um, as well as having a relationship with the Royal College of Art where I teach in what was vehicle design and now is intelligent mobility design. When you think back to that'll be the Dayu, what was what represented the technological challenge or the the digital challenge for those kind of models? I'm guessing we're thinking here this must have been sort of late 90s, I'm thinking. Is, is that about the right time frame? Yeah, so this was late 90s. And the thrust really for that brand, they were producing fairly technically simple products, often derived from slightly older bits of product that they'd inherited from General Motors or, or other places. So you would, we were definitely not at the cutting edge in terms of technology. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's an assumption on my part that there was a digital challenge of any kind. I mean, perhaps with those kind of models, there wasn't anything which was sort of recognizably digital. Not really, no. Um, yeah, you know, you had a radio in a car, didn't you? But uh, you, you, people didn't have mobile phones necessarily at that point. It was, certainly wasn't a, an, a, a, um, a particularly recognized domain. And yeah, the core thrust of the work that we were doing then was very much focused on what type of vehicle should it be, what type of design should it be. And we're talking about the exterior predominantly and then the interior. Um, the, the consideration for some element of digital was was slight, if there at all. So is there a model that stands out in your mind, not necessarily one that you've worked on yourself, but was there a, a turning point when you started to feel that that digital experience surrounding a car, either within the cabin or in terms of how the user formed a relationship with the car started to become more prominent or started to become something which you felt was relevant to the work that you were doing? I, I don't think there's one that necessarily stands up as, as a sort of singular moment. I think it, it was something which came in as a gentle groundswell over many, many years. Having said that, as a consultant, I've worked with various different brands for many years, and one of those has been Toyota. Um, and it was very gratifying to work with them, I think, as early as 2002 on a program that I th- I, I should be more sure of myself, but I'm, I'm moderately confident we were we that we put to them as a, as a core approach and idea was to develop a digital concept car, which would then exist in the realm of of a game only in its first instance. So in other words, to introduce a vehicle design, um, even if it was a concept car, so a vehicle which wouldn't be sold in in in, in garage, it wouldn't be sold in dealerships, but would be presented at motor shows as a sort of vision of the future, uh, which is done by many car brands but in this instance we were pioneering in suggesting that they introduce this on a on a on a game it may have even been Gran Turismo I think it may not have been but uh, to have it in a driving game in its first format now that's not necessarily exactly what I think you were alluding to with this broader space of digital um, but in this instance there was something which was a, a bit of a moment for us I suppose because here we were suggesting that the import of this design would be to exist in the first instance within the digital realm with a body of people who probably wouldn't be driving with younger people um, and that that would therefore be of value to the brand Toyota in this instance to demonstrate uh, to foster a relationship with a body of people who are yet to perhaps get access to cars but also to demonstrate to the wider world um, that they were understanding uh, uh, this digital realm in a, in a different way and in a fresh and new way. Uh, that, that's pretty interesting and actually in many ways I suppose is something which has come back to the fore more recently or maybe it was just particularly 
pioneering on on your part in the sense that I think now some of the more interesting things that I see happening within the, the realm of digital experience design and automotive are those car manufacturers that are experimenting using things like augmented and virtual reality to either mock up in-cabin experiences or even the whole experience of a vehicle so as to gain an understanding of how users will really relate to it before they start to commit things to actual physical manufacture in some kind. So the idea of, of putting a vehicle into a purely virtual environment where people can develop some sort of relationship with it and then presumably Toyota were able to learn something from how that, that manifested and, and how the customers did indeed start to, to interact with it. It is something which, you know, it's probably as relevant today, more relevant today maybe than it was even back then. Yeah, I mean, I think it does sit much more in the realm of brand building, if you like, of, of getting your brand out, positioning, communicating who you are um, to some extent just by the we are doing this thing and other people are not and this is the new cool thing. I don't know how much, if you like, uh, research learning that might be taken from them in the instance that I'm describing to you there. But as you describe, yeah, there's a whole uh, gamut of use of augmented reality that sits in the appraisal of an interior design and the ability for that to speed up the design process for cars. Uh, which is quite pertinent. Broadly, I, I guess that what we are sort of shuttling between is, is the way in which digital comes into automotive design, both as a tool to realize the design of the vehicle, um, but also as a, a central element of the uh, user's experience and consumption of design within the vehicle. And indeed, I guess, without not just within the vehicle, but also from outside of the vehicle itself as well. Yeah, I guess it makes me wonder as well whether those arcs are converging and becoming easier overall in the sense that if we assume now that a greater proportion of the overall vehicle experience is in some way digital than it was, say, when you started out with Deu back in the, the late 90s, then does it become easier over time for more of the prototyping of experiences to happen in the digital realm and then transfer more seamlessly across to a finished product than it has done in the past? You know, Is that going to be faster, easier, better as we go forward? Uh, or are there certain things which... I guess are always going to benefit from those more traditional processes of, of vehicle design and vehicle manufacture, which rely more on, on the physical form and, and manifesting things in, in, in physical form for, for people to be able to try and evolve in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that actually that this, the most bold and simple way to answer that is to say that actually I think that what we're talking about here is an additive thing. Um, it's not the case that the digital experience for the cars actually is, is supplanting an awful lot of the previous, if you like, analog experience. Um, that remains, even if it's perhaps of less important to some degree it's, it's, it's squashed away slightly but it nonetheless remains so that so what actually has to be designed in a vehicle the exterior the interior all the all the, the the hard technical elements of the car remain and indeed arguably have, have grown in their number and sophistication but layered upon that additionally um, is this increasingly fast, increasing area of digital that, as you've mentioned, um, may be realized and prototypes in, in different ways. But I think that regardless of how it's actually done, whether it's a simple job or, or hard job, and I think it, it errs on the harder job, it's, an, it's just another thing that has to be done, which is great. And of course, it can be separated to some degree. But we think that one of the, the, the one of the frustrations that I have and, and that we have seen um, looking at so many f elements of cars is not just this excuse that they have a longer development time or, or more issues or challenges than many other areas of industry that have related challenges in the digital realm of delivering design. One of the frustrations really is, is that the organizations are not accustomed to realizing what these possible design solutions might be and that their ability to, if you like, prototype them or perceive them at a senior level to sign off on the creative solutions that they might enable is weak. So you've got this need or if, if you like opportunity perhaps to conceive of some really vivid and exciting emotive product solutions which could be beneficial to the user in all sorts of different ways but of course to make these sufficiently tangible to gain sign off from somebody who wouldn't immediately have empathy for this realm is is really problematic um, and I think that's one of the, the challenges we've got we're used to dealing with in the automotive industry to sign off a design is to show a picture of a car or the, the picture of a facet of a car design to somebody who is quite experienced and accustomed to reading these things to be able to do the same thing uh, with a UX solution is 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 really challenging you're holding up smoke and you're holding up mirrors and I think that 
the struggle to be able to make more tangible some of the potential wow uh, design solutions in the realm of UX for cars is, is, is thwarting the ability for the car to progress. It's my view that the car could be the most exciting and, and leading realm of products that deliver properly pioneering exciting UX. You know, we have um, an individual that's seated, positioned relatively statically relative to the product that surrounds them. We have um, a lot of money density of feature within the vehicle around them. Uh, we have electricity. We have all sorts of facets of technology to support things. You've got, in a way, a perfect incubationary space to deliver powerful UX experience that I think um, many designers that are dealing with, for example, a phone would, would crave for. And yet somehow the car companies are unable to deliver it. And I think it's a lot of it's about the culture, um, but also a lot of it's about the, the challenge of being able to prototype and demonstrate the, the potential wow solutions that UX could deliver within a car. How do you think that starts to get better? Because I, I, I would very much agree with you. I think there are some real cultural challenges specific to car manufacturers and, and the automotive industry as a whole to get to that point where that the digital elements become seamless and become part of that overall experience and are planned and developed accordingly. But I'm curious as to how you think that starts to improve within organizations, what the sort of ideal first steps are. Because I'm guessing this is these are conversations that you must be having with car manufacturers on a fairly regular basis as they all struggle in their, their different ways to get to a point where they can start to improve that. Because it's an industry where you know there are disruptive forces at play at the moment and people are starting to look over their shoulders and wonder what the future looks like. You know, do you have a, a theory about what the sort of ideal structure of design within the car manufacturers of the future looks like to be able to achieve that that unification of the the digital experience elements and the, the overall product experience and that's a great question Merrick um, and as you speak it to me there I, I, I search the corners of my mind to think of the best way in which to respond to that um, I mean it's obviously not something that can be easily simply spoken and answer where people suddenly go gosh yes that's right let's go and do that now I think within it you've got uh, the two core contexts are the incumbent car brands are desperately aware you know that they've got a major fear of missing out it is a product of other uh, brands moving into what's called a mobility space so many of them are investing um, and, and and doing different things to to look at addressing the challenge that you've described there. Um, and I'm not, of course, privy to the exact way in which they're done, and maybe they're actually managing to make some really useful uh, progress. But I think that many of them are actually thwarted by the fact that these remain, if you like, outposts of their core business. Um, and of course, it's populated by relatively incumbent car ish people and that therefore they are stretching to try and do something but actually they probably still remain within you know the same bubble that they were in, in to some degree and therefore the, the challenge they've got is that they're not separate enough from the uh, culture and existing practice and expectations and assumptions of the core brand that they've come from the core automotive brand and then on the other side of course you've got the startups that might be coming at it from a totally fresh perspective less encumbered by traditional thinking but then also may be thought fluent with car specific challenges know-how and understanding of, of the particular opportunities but also context that you have within a vehicle not least safety but that's a perhaps perceived as a limiting thing but the many other elements that you have within a car which is quite distinct and, and some of those in a more positive terms are about the emotive uh, relationship you have with the car so i feel like between these two stools of the um slightly restricted automotive incumbent brands and, and the slightly naive non-automotive incumbent brands, sorry, the slightly naive non-automotive brands, um, you've potentially got a sweet spot. But how it's attained, I'm not wholly sure because it does seem that it would need to have a decent level of investment. Um, would it? Could it be a supplier brand, uh, a supplier to the car industry? I'm not sure. Could it be a Google or an Amazon? Uh, maybe it could. Could it be a new car company? I mean, Tesla's the one we all know of, but there's many in China, uh, many with Chinese backing as well. Maybe one of those would come through. I'm not sure. I would like to think that actually the way that it could happen is with um, an agency or maybe a, a body coming through, which is a, a mix of different brands, to be able to show more clearly visions as to what these things might be, to show facets of how an in-car experience might be truly go beyond what we have now. And that when the light is turned on, um, other brands may then see the value of taking different and new approaches and potentially to invest more and have different structures of organization to deliver on this because clearly it is going to be a major battleground it already is now but i think in the future there's going to be a far greater 
area of competition for these brands and that the need to understand how they might do it differently is, is very important. I mean, it's certainly the billion dollar, if not the multiple billion dollar question that, that everyone is answering. I think that's, that's a very coherent answer to a very difficult question and one which if uh, anyone did know the specific answer out there, I suspect would be on the path to great riches at the moment. I guess a lot of these manufacturers, depending on their respective histories, are going to have to feel their way to some sort of solution, which is as yet a bit opaque. I mean, it it's interesting seeing what's happened in various other industries that have faced quite large disruptive forces over the years. And there seem to be broadly a few different ways in which these industries do it. You, know, you have industries where companies go through a period of trying to acquire in some kind of new disruptive force and make it um, something which motivates them internally. This idea of, say, buying a digital design agency if you're a bank, and then that becomes this new form of innovation within the organization and some companies have managed to do that relatively successfully most um, seem to struggle with that others try to bring in consultancies which then act as sort of external motivating forces you know there are numerous different ways that all kinds of different industries from banking to cars to other forms of transportation have all tried to deal with this and it seems like there's not necessarily one particular path which succeeds better than others maybe it depends a bit on the heritage that that particular brand is coming from. Um, but I mean, do you think it's it's that enough disruption has happened already that it's easier today to start a greenfield new car company starting completely from scratch in the way someone like Tesla has than it was, say, when you got into the industry with Deu? Because Deu, you know, were a new approach and a new brand, albeit it sounds like using some components from other manufacturers to achieve that. But, you know, if you were in the position today of wanting to start your own car company, do you think it would be easier now than it was back when you started working for someone like Deu? Um, I don't think it, it would be. I mean, of course, there are numbers which suggest that I would be wrong in as much as we are seeing so many new brands that are coming from China predominantly brands which remain in China for the short term. Um, but the, the proliferation of new brands in the car space, um, which is almost exclusively coming from China or with Chinese backing, is, is just incredible and unprecedented. In the 90s, you had new brands such as Deyu and you had new brands like Smart, but you had very few other new car brands. Um, and the sheer cost to make a car brand start from fresh is just just unbelievably high. Um, and when you couple that with potentially very low profit margins, it's not the most obvious or attractive business area to, to wish to go into. Uh, and it's, of course, not necessarily a, a fast growing sector either. So doing a new car brand has always been hard. And I would imagine really that doing it now is, is harder than ever because of the competition, but mostly because of the money involved in getting yourself to a point where you might be uh, competitive with, it, with a decent cost base. So I think that's a challenge. Conceptually, though, and I think this is really where your question comes into to this, Perhaps it's easier, uh, you know, maybe the way in which one could conceive and, and play to the benefit of being a new brand with a clean sheet of paper uh, and therefore provide a, a better or more complete solution which embraces facets of new and emergent technologies, you know, connected uh, technologies within a car, autonomous potentially, um, certainly shared, the way that you share access of vehicles increasingly in the future, today and in the future, um, and indeed electrified. These four core technological zones um, that underpin so much of the change which is happening in the car space, you would suppose means that a new brand can actually sort of make some make some headway yeah i mean it's always going to be a challenge for any new car brand to come in and we are seeing more new car brands but i don't think it's getting easier in terms of though what either from a new car brand or from an existing other type of brand coming into cars or indeed from an existing incumbent car brand in terms of what they might offer as a new thing that feels ripe um so disregarding whether it's a new brand or not i think in terms of a new proposition we are overdue to see something and i think we can see in some of the ways that the products that are emerging from car companies today feel like they are if you like faltering they're still they're still essentially producing things which are very much 20th century solutions with with some uh, 21st century uh, decoration on them. Um, we do feel like we're pregnant for a proper uh, revisit as to what on earth a car might be. And when we consider how uh, we already have shared cars and how it's growing so fast, 
um, and how autonomous technology is actually already within many vehicles bought today and how electrified cars are properly coming through and how the connected technology in the cars are also coming up. Actually, truly, that there is a groundswell that sits technologically in terms of offering different types of vehicle or, or, or providing the ability to create them. What we're seeing, I think, is a dearth of car brands and the creative forces within them being able to realize how these new emergent, fast emergent technologies might be translated into offering new forms of value, new forms of design solution, um, which could then be more appealing to customers and, and a, a clear point of leverage uh, commercially for car brands to, 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 to take and to go forward with. Are there any standout examples that stick in your mind from, I don't know, say the last year or so, you feel like manufacturers are starting to show signs of showing something which is a genuinely different offering or something which goes beyond that sort of 20th century thinking that you were describing and represents a bit of a, a new differentiated customer proposition? Well, um, yeah, I would perhaps cite two examples. One of them, you know, I have a vested interest in because the work that we did much informed this concept. And it was, of course, was a concept car so it's not something you can buy or would ever be able to buy but it, it demonstrates the will and intent of a brand um, and visions uh, and showcases its vision for the future which is the volvo 360c uh, concept car and, and that was born of research that we did, which informed the core future scenarios uh, which Volvo embraced. We proposed several, and they took four of those, including the central element, which is the idea that one can sleep in an autonomous vehicle. Um, and so perhaps instead of taking a short-haul flight uh, to make a meeting, which you would typically have to get up for early in the morning, um, you would perhaps go to bed in your vehicle at nighttime, and it would gently, slowly, comfortably drive you and safely to your destination, where you'd arrive fresh in the morning to wake up and attend. So that that's a show car that obviously designed by Volvo. It's not our work, um, but our work much informed and that I believe is a good example of what we're talking about here of a brand doing something differently in terms of offering something fresh and new that's informed and facilitated or enabled by new emergent technologies, but does it in a way which genuinely offers something valuable to the consumer. Yeah, I remember seeing the, the, the concept when this came out and it was something which particularly resonated with me, I guess, as someone who's been in that experience of taking early morning flights somewhere and the idea that actually there's this different approach where you could turn the experience of getting from one place to another through the virtues of uh, an autonomous vehicle into something relaxing into a space that is used in a very different way from how you might have imagined cars being used in the past it was really quite inspiring to me i'm curious where does something like that start yeah, as you say, there are clearly numerous stages to it and, and Volvo end up putting the finishing touch to how that actually looks as a, a concept car. But where does a project like that start for you with the work that you do with car design research? I mean, I, I have to cast my mind back to that project and be careful that I don't speak of things which I shouldn't because it was a confidential client piece of work that we did. Um, broadly, I think the work we did there uh, entailed speaking with experts that sit around the mobility space throughout the globe and using um, different means to reach those to have interviews with them to understand what they perceive to be some of the challenges and opportunities around emergent technologies and what they can provide for customers and how that's different in different regions to explore the potential journeys that people may make in the future. Uh, and obviously, many of those are, are much the same as journeys that are made today. And to consider where some of the pain points sit within that. A lot of the work we do also, though, as well as if you like looking at the heartland and the crosshairs of the sort of focal point for the challenge, involve zooming out from that point to be on the periphery to try to consider um, some what ifs. And I think that that one, as you've mentioned, how it sort of chimes for yourself in a personal way in which, you know, perhaps you're having to get up early to drive to, to make an air, air, airport for an early morning flight to a destination that would be a long drive. Yeah, this felt like one that others that we came across also could see and yet somehow wasn't being considered wasn't on the radar uh, for those for brands that were looking at autonomous cars a lot of people that look at autonomous cars we've found tend to just in our view naively presume that you're just going to be in a car on a on a road at high speed with some time on your hands to play scrabble to read the paper to look at an ipad and it feels rather naive or um, rather lacking perhaps to 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 only go that far um, but there's a real opportunity when we have these new technologically formed features and capabilities of vehicles to properly consider how might those actually ultimately be of benefit and when we have an understanding of that how that might then refer back and inform what that feature should actually deliver to have a proper dialogue between solution and the challenge that it's that it's that it's responding to and to go around that dialogue a few times and not just to simply try to uh, uh, shortcut a solution that we know of from today of you know what do you do when you're driving could you actually better do some work instead could you sit 
with a laptop whilst you're zooming down the motorway. So a, a rather roundabout way of responding to you there, Marek. But the, the research that we did was, yeah, it, it zoomed in and zoomed out a lot. But you also asked me if there were, um, as perhaps another example that I'd like to hold up, not of anything that we did to inform um, a car design research, but something that I'm particularly interested in in a minute. And that's how we're seeing um, a progressive emergence of virtual uh, personal assistance within cars. I mean, we're familiar with them within our homes and our, and our personal devices. Um, and perhaps also that they are going to come through and they are beginning to come through in cars, uh, Mercedes-Benz and BMW perhaps lead with them. But there's a brand that not many people perhaps in the West are super aware of called Neo. It's a Chinese uh, brand, really. And they have their own, if you like, robot or their own personalized or sorry, their own personification of their uh, V. VPA in the form of Nomi. And so Nomi is this sort of, if you like, cartoon-like face character, very simple representation of, of, of a face, um, which sits in a, in a screen, but also sits in a small animated um, sort of R2-D2 or uh, BB-88 type of um, form on the top of the dashboard and will speak to you, uh, will engage with you, will take your photo and will give you directions and so on. And I think that that's a really interesting area to see coming through. We're seeing it in many different Chinese car brands, not so many outside. Um, but this is an area which I think is interesting to see how that's developing um, and how that's in some respects delivering on the uh, idea of progressing more emotive and also useful relationships with the uh, car user and actually doing that as a, as a consequence of being more connected and informed from a technological point of view. Is there something about the way in which that relates to the particulars of being an automotive brand rather than any other kind of brand? Because I, I take your point here, obviously we're seeing these assistants in various forms emerging now. You've got the ones which are kind of central to and generic to particular digital platforms like you know the Google Assistant or Apple with Siri, which can be used across a wide range of different scenarios. But then also increasingly companies seem to be having ones which are specific to interacting with their company. You know, the way you can go onto, say, a bank's website now and you'll be dealt with through a virtual assistant, which has a degree of personality that relates to the particular brand. Is that something you think we're going to see more of in the, the car world, that automotive manufacturers start to put as much thought into the personality and the if you like, the sort of soft factors of how you work with that assistant within the vehicle in the same way they would elements, which I guess have been more traditionally associated with car manufacturers, like the, the history of the mark and the uh, the kind of the feeling that goes around the, the the history of a particular car brand. Yeah, I mean, whether they're going to do it or not, Marek, I'm not wholly sure, but it feels like a real area that they could or should be doing so. The extent to which they are, would be happy to lose a primary element of the relationship with the user to the likes of Google or Apple or whomever it is that might be providing uh, related features within the car. I, I don't know. It just feels like losing ground to that would be um, an odd choice. Um, nonetheless, clearly to invest in providing a, a properly strong AI tech solution within a car is, is no small undertaking. But it does feel like that's the direction that, that certainly the larger brands should be seeking to take because the relationship that people will have with their cars even without this being visually manifest in some face-like animated form through that ai powered um, assistant is is going to grow it and it's going to be strong and it's going to be within their car and it's going to be within their branded experience and to be honest it is part of their branded design deliverable um, so to just let go of that and allow a third party provider to to, to, to deliver that, I feel like is a, a a missed opportunity or a mistake. And even if there's a cost involved in, in bringing that in-house, which may be ch a challenge, I think it's a challenge that certainly should be more fully considered because actually there's, there's a lot there to win, um, particularly as we conceive of how these assistants will go forward into the future in terms of being more fully representative of, of, of in their behavior, of not necessarily pretending to be a human, but behaving in a more complete and human-like way manner and therefore giving voice to a brand in such a full way both on the spectrum of being fundamentally useful and adding value but also to the other end of the spectrum of being an most an emotive engaging part of a relationship that the user has to not wish to invest in that central element central touch point seems to be a very unusual approach to be taking um, and i think also if they don't choose to do so soon they're never going to be able to manage to pull that back in um, it's something that I think the fairly simple NOMI in the NEO does quite well, but in a limited form. Um, but clearly that's going to develop going forwards. 
Um, and okay, there's challenges there, I think, within a car environment of safety, which are not inconsiderable. But just pausing the button there briefly, set outside of that, the opportunity within this captive space where not necessarily other people are going to hear you talking with this assistant, it's just huge. It's a really huge potential opportunity here. Um, and, and I think it's something which the core big brands should be investing in and looking at how they do, not least also in the way in which this, the manifestation visually that this might take, you know, are we looking at a small cartoon? Uh, are we looking at something which is properly trying to be humanoid? How far and to what degree of specificity might we expect these uh, virtual personal assistants within a vehicle, a brand specific virtual personal assistance? How far should they go? What fidelity should they have? It's a huge and fascinating area. Yeah, it's it's interesting, I guess, to consider how that would rank versus other kind of pre-existing elements within the current automotive experience and then how you would draw those analogies. Uh, again, not being from a car design background myself, I'm not sure of the specifics of this, but it makes me wonder, well, is this something which manufacturers should give as much thought and attention to as they would say the smell of a new car interior or uh, the lighting uh, environment within an automotive cabin or the sound of the exhaust note or all of those different elements which it seems to me that as an outside observer car manufacturers have invested a great deal of time in putting a personality around which is specific to their particular mark whether that's something that gets the same level of attention with something like these assistants in the future and if so then where the skills to do that come from. And if you look at the likes of Google, for instance, they now are bringing onto the payroll people like scriptwriters because they've realized that to have an assistant which actually has a personality, the skill set is not just about can we code that efficiently and securely. The skill set is about do we have people with the sense of humor and playfulness on our team that can help us to design the the logic and the flow of experience around that assistant, which means that people come away feeling that they've had a uniquely Google experience in this case. It makes you wonder about what those skills might be and how an organization with a heritage in automotive could start to put that into the company culture such that they could deliver an assistant which had that amount of personality and, and, and added that amount of value to the overall brand experience. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's hard to know the degree to which it should be a priority over other resources that need to be met um, in order to deliver deliver a car. Um, I, I mean, my postulation really is that it, it, it perhaps ought to be greater than that that it currently is. And that, it, and then for some brands that it's not even on their radar and it really truly should be. Because, you know, we look in the outside of automotive, how fast person, personal digital assistance or personal, um, sorry, virtual personal assistance, look at how fast their adoption has been and how marked that commercial realm has been to to um, not recognize the sheer speed at which this grows as a commercial possibility but also as a set of expectations from the customer or market side is would be an exceedingly naive move to make so really i guess all i'm doing is holding it up and saying look regardless of the prioritizations you have at the minute this one is one that should be moving up that prioritization ladder and fast and there's a context of course also which is automotive brands are spending uh, or many of them are spending a, a huge amount of money and perhaps rightly so uh, looking at the ways in which autonomous technology will manifest themselves in the future and yet that remains still in so many respects as something which is around the corner you know we've got legislative challenges amongst so many others and yet brands are relatively committed to pretty fierce spends on that and yet this area of personal personal of your virtual personal assistant is something which is the kind of here and now at least it could be so it feels to me like um something which is somehow being not recognized for what it is which is a very important thing which is massively fast immersion and which could be a hugely significant part of a car brand's design deliverable and relationship with its user um, and certainly more significant than you know the smell and the interior and all sorts of the other facets that you know you've alluded to which car brands rightly have some consideration for do you think there's a chance that it comes from elsewhere that it doesn't come from a car manufacturer themselves i mean i'm thinking here of i was recently reading about how the aa now are talking about developing a series of tools and i guess what you could describe as a, a virtual personal assistant of some form or other which may be able to predict when your car is going to develop a fault and that possibly users would feel maybe a, a different kind of trust in that relationship with uh, what would be perceived as an independent actor outside of the automotive manufacturer playing that role of the assistant within the vehicle um, or even brands which in some way are 
involved with mobility, with getting people to where they want to go, but are coming from a very different background. You have the likes of City Mapper, for instance, who have got into offering things like universal transportation passes in London, which work across every mode of transport that you need to get you from A to B in London. And they're starting to look at things like, can they actually provide their own bits of the transport network, whether their data sets are identifying for them, there are opportunities that aren't being met by existing modes of transport. Yeah, it's not a massive leap of imagination to think, well, actually, some of those brands might start to think that we can provide a mobility assistant of some kind, which works not just within the cabin of a car, but actually works across all of these different modes of transport or or multiple vehicles, perhaps, but is specific to that need of uh, all the things that come off going on a journey and being uh, in transit between one place and another and and the different needs that people encounter in that sort of mode of operation. So I wonder whether this is something that potentially becomes another disruptive force, if you like, for, for automotive manufacturers, that unless they get on to doing something around this themselves soon, someone else is going to come in and steal their lunch. Yeah, I mean, I think all that you described there has got real potential possibility. Your uh, sort of there's a default thing that we're we're doing, which is to uh, connect this to mobility, and clearly that's a primary fundamental element as to what a car does. It does take us from A to B, but actually so much of what we gain from the car is nothing about going from A to B. So mobility and uh, if you like the map, you talked about City Mapper. I mean, we could probably both imagine how Garmin might be another brand that could could sit at the table for what you're describing for a third party essentially to be realizing some form of uh, virtual personal assistant within a car which conceivably you could take from car to car Um, indeed if you're sharing a car it might be that you wish to to literally do just that in a physical way but then there's other brands aren't there of course like you've talked about the AA that could be one um, the different relationship we might have with that and the way that might be very much orientated on the the, the health of performance or reliability of your vehicle enabling you to to get you from A to B Uh, it could be Expedia Um, it could be many other brands but I also think that just pausing briefly on the how other brands might engage with this for the car companies if they don't manage to they ought to be in a position to realize a far superior solution because the car has so many facets of competency that are if you like hardware based um, you know whether it's the temperature of the air coming out of the car whether it's the, the music that's coming out whether it's the smell that you've talked about whether it's the actual performance of the car itself in some technical manner um, whether it's where the seats are positioned all of the actual facets of the car one would expect the car brand ought to wish to own the control elements of that and ought to own the way in which one accesses and gains benefit from the value that they provide to you and I still think that actually the car the owners ought to be on the car brands to make sure that they do deliver this because if the third parties go in there arguably they would never be able to do such a complete job in terms of the car specific experience they'd always have a different agenda they ought not necessarily to have such a uh, car specific set of competencies but then actually you know another angle might be that when we talk about car brands we tend to think of the sort of manufacturers the Fords the Renaults of the world and so forth maybe if we think more about the Alamos and the Hertz type brands we've got another thing in there you know is this is this part of mass mobility as a service uh, is the car brand no longer the, the, the little nameplate on the back of where the thing was made and by whom and the garage that it might have been bought from once upon a time maybe it's more about how what it's on the car key itself it's a hertz key um, it's a car to go key um, so if the acts the way in which we're describing or the, the element that we're talking about now about the the, the brand specific uh, virtual personal assistant might not be oem or original equipment manufacturer specific it could be service provider specific so that regardless of where that car came from whether it's a Volkswagen or a Ford if it's a Hertz where you access it it remains consistent across the brand and that also might be another way of doing it fundamentally though it's an area which is is very nascent at the moment you know we are we do have uh, these in our homes so many of us do they are growing really fast they're pretty affordable we don't properly yet have them in cars beyond those of uh, BMWs and Mercedes and a few of the other emerging premium brands and we certainly don't have them in visual form except for the Chinese uh, examples that I've mentioned and there's a few other But I do believe that that's a realm which could or should or will come to the fore um, and that will be a new thing. And and as you said, maybe it's not just the car brands, maybe it's other brands too that are going to deliver something in that space. Not necessarily specific to this theme of of virtual personal assistance, but on this idea of of brands and their relationship with customers and, and the sort of the power and the longevity of that brand relationship specific to to the world of, of automotive and cars. Do you think there's an opportunity here, if we accept that they're going to be disruptive forces of some kind, 
um, which strongly affect that industry over the next little while, of historic brands making a comeback in this environment. You know, I'm thinking here of the worlds of fashion to a limited degree, even in the worlds of uh, smartphones, where you've seen things like the Palm and the BlackBerry brand coming back in a different guise, where technologically you actually have an entirely separate third-party company, which is taking those brands on and using their newer technological know-how, if you like, to bring back a brand which customers had a feeling about had a relationship with, but deliver it in a very new way. Is that something which is being explored within the automotive world, looking at how some brands which you know have gone by the wayside over the years might be brought back in a way which is made more relevant by the sort of technology that we have access to today? To some degree, this has been happening for you know a long time. Audi is a brand that we all perceive to be you know there from for a long time, but I think it was reborn in 1967 or thereabouts by Volkswagen. It had existed in pre-war years, but essentially had disappeared and died. Um, but they brought it back because they wanted to, you know, create themselves a, if you, in, in a, a premium brand to compete with BMW. And they did that a long time ago, and we've we've become very accustomed to it. And in more recent years, Volkswagen Group they they brought back Bugatti. There was a brand which 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 didn't produce design any cars uh, since since the war, and they brought it back. Uh, and, and we now have Bugatti as a as a proper a true luxury brand. So we have presidents of um, car companies bringing back things from the dead. Your point, which I think is is quite valid, is about bringing back brands which pe- perhaps people have a relationship with or st- still have some memory of. Um, and so those would perhaps be more recent brands um, than that that we're talking about now. And I do think there's the opportunity with that. And uh, the opportunity really sits in this sort of context of something else that we've championed with some clients, which is to say, there's a broad fear, I think, as, as if car moves to mobility provider, that actually everybody's going to be shuttled around in some form of uh, fridge-like white good, that the car itself and car design will become subservient to the service provider itself and therefore um, cars will become a lesser experience they will just become a means to an end um, and that's a fear within the automotive industry not shared by everybody but it's it's something there which is quite ingrained but we postulate a different view which is that if you think of how you access a hotel typically today and it's likely to be through ebookers or some other expedia like mechanism uh, which means to say that you suddenly have a huge variety of choice of brand and type and name and specific place of hotel so as a consequence of today's technologies and the way that you access hotels for example you able to have a greater variety of choice and actually are more likely perhaps to stay in different types of hotels and have different interesting small experiences. You may be more likely, for example, to go to a boutique hotel than to routinely go to a chain like Hilton or Travelodge. And perhaps the same thing, and we think this is the case, will happen as you share cars more. As people choose a share car, they won't always need to have the same single brand experience or the same single normal gray suit of an experience of a car. They will be able to cherry pick and have a bit of variety. We all need to have, many people have a car themselves and they want it to serve many functions and to be, if you like, the normal thing to, to, to stretch across all the parameters of their usage. But if they have a access to share cars they may choose to have something a bit special on one day and something of a different taste on another day so i guess what i'm saying is i think that in the future particularly with car share we shall be um entering a realm where cars will be less identical less similar to one another um, and where there's more choice and variety and actually that will be a key point of differentiation so to realize that might be to do as you've alluded to here for brands to uh, go and rebirth other old car brands and indeed brands which are no longer car brands you know what would a raffa car be like um dyson are going to be producing a car what will that be like there's all sorts of brands that could actually come from non-automotive space and we can imagine how they might impact and, and, and create a really exciting vehicular proposition which if we had on a menu when we're choosing a car for the weekend ahead or for the next week ahead uh, might be quite an appealing prospect compared to a very normal looking volkswagen or ford what would be top of your list personally if you could resurrect an automotive brand from the dead that you would like to see manifest in some new 21st century way are there any which spring to mind uh for some reason as you said it and this is certainly not pre-thought i've thought facile vega so facile vega was a sort of luxury brand from france unusually um in the 50s and i think 60s also um and just the sort of slightly abstruse element of why of what that vehicle was a fairly unconventional product in so many respects i think it'd be quite cool to see something like that come back and actually also 
there's something interesting about French luxury in a car context. We are, we're, we have a high understanding of, 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 of Parisian luxury born of the architecture of, of the place, the culture of the place, uh, the food that we might consume there and the fashion and so forth. But it doesn't much translate into cars, certainly not in recent times. And whilst the, 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 the French car brands have toyed with it in concept car form, um, we don't see much evidence of, of a sort of really interesting, distinct, different French uh, luxury or top end form of vehicle and I think that could be an exciting proposition that maybe Fasal Vega could be. I mean this as always when we talk has been an education for me Sam I have never heard of, of that brand so you've um, as is often the case when we've had a chat I'm going to be spending the next little while going off on Wikipedia and looking these things up and finding some links to put in the show notes to uh, to see what those cars were all about um, but there was one other thing I, I wanted to ask you about before we finish up and that was about how this work actually manifests for you personally because you've been running car design research as a consulting business now I think since would it be the the early 2000s yes that's right and I mean over the years of doing this podcast you know I've spoken to people who have all run agencies of various kinds either founding them bringing being bought in to, to manage them and one of the things that always fascinates me when you're in that sort of role is you know, obviously you have a, a duty if you like your business is is founded on being able to inspire clients in some way deliver something for the clients but given how diverse uh, an area automotive is and how it seems you need to be drawing inspiration from all sorts of different industries how do you keep that fresh yourself you know what are your sort of go-tos to to get this inspiration to make sure that you can continue to provide something relevant for clients i mean do you you find it easy as an agency owner to find the time to to keep um, that knowledge fresh and and your sense of enthusiasm and and learning for this area of experience design uh something you know passionate that that you can continue to to do uh, an easy thing or is that something which um is hard to find the time to do when you're you're running a business of your own I'm, i'm sort of glad that as you've asked that question that it felt like there was enough time for me to think of how on earth I might respond to, the, to it. Um, I don't believe I've sort of got a very consciously thought through way in which I and my colleagues do, as you're describing, to remain on top of our game and to ensure that we preserve a sort of uh, youthful-minded, fresh and keenness and energy uh, to be uh, consistently useful to our clients and essentially looking at how something will be better and different in the future. It is something which still massively energizes me um, and interests me. So I don't feel like there's a need to uh, cultivate in any sort of conscious way and uh, to maintain or cultivate this 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 passion or energy. Um, and yeah, sure, maybe one day that will fade, but at the moment I don't think it will. And of course, there's so much changes in the industry and without with, with just around the industry that mean that that's at the moment, you know, it's almost the most exciting time it is right now. So in terms of the energy and the engagement, that doesn't feel like a specific thing that needs to is a challenge that needs a solution to, to, to for us. But in terms of remaining on our game, otherwise, again, maybe there's no conscious strategy in place, and perhaps there should be. Um, but I suppose the simplistic answer is a level of diversity of of not of whilst being up to speed with what's happening in the industry sector. Um, to be honest, mostly being very much aware of what's happening in peripheral areas, of being well read, um, of visiting different places, of teaching and being engaged with otherwise different academic institutions of visiting shows all around the world and actually of course learning a massive amount from our clients we work with chinese japanese european and american clients and we're bound by confidentiality but still within all of those dialogues and experiences that we have both with them and with their colleagues and with uh, the um, cultures that they are embedded within means that we're permanently informed and educated about the world that sits around us and so whilst we need to maintain competency that's core to cars and car design and the immediate peripheral areas of which of course digital is such an important one fundamentally i think it's about being um maintaining a keen hunger uh, and interest in what is changing in, ter- in, in the world around us. What is it about people, their lives and their living experience, uh, which is new and exciting, but also could be better and could be different and more int- and, 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 and have a better, I was going to say more beautiful solution, but that's really uh, not what I'm talking about. What, what could be um, an aesthetic or, or, or emotive set of deliverables, which we've not yet reached? Because that somehow... There's, there's, there's all sorts of challenges that we have in the digital world as well as car world about making something simple, making something intuitive, um, making something easy to use, which are important. But fundamentally for me, what excites me both in cars and all of the areas that we practice in is about making something which reaches a higher emotive um, delivery point, which which excites 
uh, which engages in a more fulsome way and which is uh, reaching, you know, at, at the top of the pinnacle in terms of its delivery relationship and connection with people. Um, and I think that's the thing that's interesting and, and understanding how that might happen just by being exposed to so many things is, is central to, to keeping us fresh and informed and useful to our clients. Well, it sounds like an exciting roadmap for the, the future and some uh, things to be getting on with, with helping clients with. But I can't let you go without slightly putting you on the spot and feel free to not answer or uh, evade the question if, if you like. But is there any one particular brand that you haven't yet had the chance to work for that you would really like to have a go at solving one of those problems for? Presuming that is that the great Fassel Vega uh, resurgence doesn't happen anytime soon. Is there any other brand that you would really like to have the opportunity to apply your talents towards? Uh, the short answer is no. There's no single brand that we've not worked for, but that we wish we had or that we'd very much like to. But the, 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 the sort of collective area, it would be to work with a non-automotive brand that's looking to move properly into the automotive space. I think that doing that where there's a brand that has the money and the ambition and the ability to do so uh, would be very exciting. Most of the work we've done is with incumbent car brands, not exclusively so. So um, yeah, that would be my answer. Working with brands which are would be new to the car space, um, but which have existing proper strength in other territories. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with it, Sam. And thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show and, and share all of those ideas and, and thoughts around this. No doubt something which will get listeners of the podcast thinking and, and hopefully getting in touch with some questions to follow up on. But thanks very much indeed for taking the time and, and do stay in touch and let us know how it goes. Thank you, Marek. Yeah, much appreciated. Really good to do this with you. So there we go. I mean, I found that a pretty eye-opening exploration of design in the world that has its own fascinating nuances, as well as one which is so very clearly converging with the world which would be familiar to people from digital experience design. Now, if you want to find out more about Sam and car design research or any of the things that we talked about, uh, take a look at the show notes in the podcast section at mobileuserexperience.com, uh, and you'll find links there to all of the stuff which came up in the discussion. Now, you might remember that in the last episode, I asked for a bit of help. I've been trying to get a better sense of where all of you, the, the listeners, are, who you are, why you listen. And quite a few of you took the time to write in, which is great. I mean, I've been hearing from people who listen on different types of commute, uh, people who listen in the garden, people who listen on holiday. Uh, there was even someone who's planning to use the podcast as part of a teaching syllabus. Uh, but if you haven't yet written in, um, do please take a moment to drop me a line. I'd really appreciate it. My email address is designtalk at mobileuserexperience.com. Uh, and just tell me a bit about how you listen to the show. And if you take the time to get in touch, uh, I will respond to everyone I receive. And it will really help me with understanding what's working, what's not, what you'd like more of in the future. So I'm going to be back soon with another episode when I'm talking with Lada Golenko, the Director of Experience Research of the software company Smartsheet. But that's it for this edition. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.